So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and verse 13 to 21. So that's church Bible number 1044. And in the larger print, that's 1,619. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is God's word. So Elon Musk, what do you think of when you hear his name? Do you think of Twitter? Do you think of Tesla? Or do you think of 180 billion? Elon Musk is worth around about 180 billion dollars. He has all the money, possessions that anyone can ask for. And I'm sure you've, I'm sure we've all been asked the question, what would you do with one million pounds? What would your answer be? Would the money be the source of your completeness? Would it satisfy you forever? The world tells us if you have this amount of money, you will be happy. If you have this car, you will be happy. If you have this house, you will be content. Every single week, around about 45 million people in the UK participate in the national lottery. That's about 70% of all people over the age of 18. The people of the UK believe if they just win the lottery, then they'll be happy. And they keep doing it week after week. But you know, you're 45 times more likely to be struck by lightning than win the lottery. Yet people still buy their lottery tickets, hoping that this time it might be them who wins big. They bought into the lie that money will make you happy. Money will complete your life. If only I won that, my life will be sorted out. In today's passage in Luke chapter 12, 
Jesus tells us a plain truth that our life isn't about what we own. Instead, our lives are about treasuring God above anything on this earth. Life is about treasuring God above anything we have on this earth. And Jesus tells us this through a parable. If you don't understand what a parable is, it's simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's something on earth with a spiritual meaning behind it. And Jesus uses this parable to tell us what it looks like when we place riches at the forefront of our minds. Jesus uses this parable to tell us why it's foolish to have money as the king over us. But before we look into this passage, let's have an understanding of the scene here. So if you notice at the start of Luke 12, Jesus is in a crowd, and this isn't just a crowd of a few people, but it's made up of thousands of people. And what does Jesus do? Notice verse 1. He starts teaching his disciples. And Luke chapter 12 is a chapter of warnings. It gives five clear different warnings. Jesus starts off talking about being aware of hypocrisy like the Pharisees. And then he goes on about denying Christ, denying Jesus himself in front of other people. And then he brings us into this passage today. In this passage, Jesus warns us about covetousness. He warns us because this can be a struggle for us all in many different ways. Jesus warns us so that we might heed his warning and follow him more effectively. So let's look into this parable and how it can be applied to us in our day. So point number one, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. So verses 13 to 15, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. Don't go near the cliff edge, otherwise you might fall. Don't touch the hot pan, otherwise you, might, otherwise you will burn yourself. Don't play in the road, otherwise you'll probably be hit by a car. Those everyday warnings are good, and they stop us from doing something that might cause serious danger. And Jesus starts to warn us about loving things more than God because of the serious consequences of living without God. But what causes Jesus to start telling this parable? Notice verse 13. Jesus is teaching the disciples, and then this man comes over, and he tells Jesus to get his brother to divide the inheritance with him. This probably means the man's father's just passed away, and the inheritance has been passed down. And back in this day, the, elder, the oldest son would receive the inheritance, and then he would divide it when the time was most needed. According to the law of the day, the older brother would receive two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger one-third. So this man is most likely the younger brother and he wants his share now. He doesn't want to wait around. So this man wants Jesus to come and help sort out his family problems. This man's request seems random to us, doesn't it, today? A man randomly coming up to Jesus and saying, help me sort this problem out. But back in, the, back in this day, Jesus was seen as a rabbi, and rabbis would have responsibility of helping people settle their legal matters. But here we see Jesus, he doesn't get involved in this man's problem. Why doesn't he get involved in this man's problem? He doesn't get involved in it because he knows that whatever he says won't solve the problem. 
But what is the problem? That's what Jesus goes on to talk about next. He tells us, be on our guard against all kinds of greed. This is what the problem is between the brothers. The true problem was greed. And this gives Jesus an opportunity to talk about covetousness. But what is covetousness? Covetousness is a strong desire to have that which belongs to another. The desire to have wealth or possessions of somebody else. Covetousness can also be defined as discontentment with one's situation and possessions. I see this clearly with my niece and nephew. My, they're about two years old. And my nephew is playing with a toy and my niece is playing with a toy and they're both happily playing until they see each other. My niece goes over to my nephew and snatches the toy out of his hand simply because he's playing with it. Whatever the toy would have been, my niece would go over and take it out of his hand. Although that can be a funny story, don't we do something very similar in our lives? Around two million parcels from Amazon is delivered every single day. And I know in the past I've bought things on Amazon that I didn't really, uh, didn't really need. Covetousness got the better of me. I wanted something because I saw it and thought that would make me happy. I'm not saying every purchase on Amazon is, is wrong, but covetousness is one of the Ten Commandments. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that can't be seen on the surface. There's no evidence when we, when we disobey covetousness. It's in the heart. And covetousness can be the source of breaking all commandments or some of the other commandments. For example, theft. We steal because we have coveted somebody else's belongings. We commit adultery because we've coveted somebody else's wife or husband. Coveting can show up in many different forms. As we continue in this passage, notice verse 14. Jesus responds to the man by saying, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? It wasn't that Jesus is unconcerned about justice, but he was aware, he was aware that the man's covetousness would do him more harm than not having the share of his inheritance. Jesus wants to address the real problem. Although this man thinks he needs to have the inheritance, his actual problem is he thinks having the inheritance is all he needs. He thinks the inheritance will give him what he really needs. If only I get that inheritance, then I'll have what I need. I'll get lots of money and my life will be sorted out. This is what the man is thinking, and this is why Jesus tells the parable. Don't get me wrong, desiring an inheritance isn't wrong, but it becomes wrong when our focus of it is too important. We don't fully know the context of what's going on in these uh, men's life, but Jesus uses this as, a, uh, as an opportunity to teach. Jesus says, verse 15, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus here talks of greed or covetousness as something that is seeking after us. This isn't something that only a few need to watch out for. We must all be on, guard ourselves against this sin. Here Jesus warns a man. 
his disciples, the crowd, and everyone who would read this. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. Don't be given over to greed where you want more and more. But why, why does Jesus teach this? Why, why is Jesus teaching us this? Jesus says it because of end of verse 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is clear. Life isn't about having lots of possessions. Jesus isn't, is not saying that you shouldn't have any possessions. He's, say, he's saying that life isn't all about possessions. You aren't defined by what you have. If you have lots of possessions, that doesn't mean you're complete and sorted out. And if you have few co- uh, possessions, that doesn't mean you're less important than those who have more. Why? Because our lives don't consist in an abundance of possessions. Well, this is so countercultural to our world, isn't it? Our world tells us the more you have, the happier you will be. The world we live in values people with lots of riches above those who don't have much. Every day we see adverts telling us to get this car and you'll be happy. Win the lottery and your life will be complete. Get this dream house and you'll be content. The world tells us the more you have, the more satisfied you will be. The more you have, the more important you are. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is so freeing for us as Christians. Jesus is telling us we don't need to gain lots of possessions, lots of money, lots of properties. They won't fulfill us. They won't make us happy. Life isn't about them. Today, if you're seeking to always have the best car, you're seeking to always have the best possessions and lots of gadgets, hear Jesus' words, life isn't about possessions. Possessions aren't wrong, but if that's what you're making your life about, then you are living against Jesus' command. Just let's think about our lives and consider areas where we may make possessions more important than God. Let's ask ourselves a few questions and consider these. Do my thoughts more often run after material things than after God himself? Do I ever compromise godly character in the pursuit of material gain? Do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy knowing God? How do I respond when I lose material things? What would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? I wonder how, you, how did you answer those questions? If we answer honestly, so often, don't we? We go after seeking for self. We go after to gain more for ourselves, don't we? But what, what is wrong with greed? We all know it's a sin and against God's will, but why is it against God's will? Why is greed bad? Greed ignores the lordship of Christ over everything. Greed ignores others so that self is exalted. Greed ignores the shortness of life and the fact of eternity. Of course, we all need money to live 
And money is something that is good. But what should we as people of God be like toward money? How should we live our lives in a way that isn't money motivated? How do we as Christians follow Jesus, treasuring him above everything this world can offer? Jesus said life isn't about having many possessions. So what is life about? That brings us into the next part where Jesus answers that question in our second part. Be rich toward God, verses 16 to 21. Be rich toward God. In 1912, in April, a famous ship set sail, and that ship was called the Titanic. On the ship were many people, and the majority of the people on that ship were very rich. And on the Titanic, there was a man named Jacob Astor. And Jacob Astor, if he was around today, he'd be worth around about 200 billion. He was so wealthy, and if he was around today, he'd be up there with Elon Musk. At the age of 47, he went on the Titanic. But as we know, the Titanic tragically hit an iceberg, and many were killed as that ship went under. Jacob Astor, he had his money in the bank, more money than anybody else, yet he was in the middle of the ocean. He couldn't stop himself from dying. His money was useless to him. It couldn't save him. It couldn't help him in his time of need. Jacob Astor's time had come and he died in 1912 as the Titanic sank. In the second half of this passage, Jesus tells the parable about a man in a similar situation. This man is a farmer and his crops have produced ample grain. He's had such a good harvest that if he saves the crop, he'll have enough for years. He'll be able to take life easy. But how can he store all the grain? His barns are too small. He decides, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain in those barns. I'll have so much grain, I'll be able to take life easy, sit back and relax. Yet although this man had abundant grain, his life was demanded of him. All that he stored up was left behind. The possessions he trusted in for comfort and easy life remained here as his life was taken. Just like Jacob Astor, he had an abundance of money, yet it became useless to him because his life was demanded of him. He left everything behind. All the stuff he gained was gone and went to somebody else. But we've got to think more carefully about this rich man. Seems like he's a hard worker. He most likely works hard and has a great crop. And this man seeks to build up his farm. He wants to have a successful farm and grow it bigger. And Jesus isn't against us desiring to work hard and build up our businesses. There are many Christians who have become wealthy and they're dearly valued in, in God's mission on earth. And the ambition to build up your business and save money isn't a problem. It only becomes a problem when we fall into one of three traps. One problem could be we make it our life to build up our business and become successful. The second problem could be that once we've made our riches, they become our trust and we depend on them instead of God. Another trap we may fall down 
is that our riches become more important to us than God. We love our riches more than God. So what has this rich farmer done wrong? He lays up his grain, and his grain becomes his trust. I can take life easy now. I can eat, drink, and be merry. Now I've got this, I can sit back and relax. Just look at verses 17 to 19. Just look at how many times this man talks about himself. All his life is about himself. It's what he can get. It's about his comfort. My crops, my barn, my grain, my goods, my life. This rich man has everything for himself. His life is sorted out. He can relax and sit back. But God comes and takes what belongs to God. God demands his life from him. God demands his right. This, life, this rich man believes that his life is his, yet it's actually God's. The life we have on this earth is God's. We live on God's earth. All we have is God's. We so often forget that all we have has been received, we've received it from God. In 2023, if this rich man was around, he'd be on TV talking about his great farm. He'd be famous, and people would look up to him as a great businessman. He'd be some, someone who people aspire to be. But what does God say about him? God calls him a fool. God calls this rich man a fool because he lives this life for himself. He ignores God and sets his mind on this earth alone. A preacher I used to hear had a reoccurring quote. He'd say, there are two great tragedies in life. The first tragedy is living a life without God. And the second and greatest tragedy is dying without God. This rich man in this story falls into both. He lives without God and he dies without God. Just pause and think about that. Are we living a life without God? Are our days self-focused and self-indulged? It's so easy to forget about eternity, isn't it? Forget about our life after death. We, like this man in this story, we will all one day meet God. Are you ready for that day? If your life was demanded of you tonight, would you be ready? Would you be ready to meet your maker? Back in 2020, I received news that a friend of mine from school had passed away. He died unexpectedly, aged 22. Back in 2007, my family lost my uncle, aged 41. In 2012, my grandpa passed away, aged 81. Death is no respecter of ages. Death comes to us all. It may come to you when you're 20, when you're 40, when you're 80. Death could come to us at any time. Look what Jesus says. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Two men are at a funeral, and the funeral is of a man of much wealth. One of the men says, how much did he leave behind? The other man replied, all of it. Although that seems a humorous story, it's, it's true, isn't it? We leave everything 
behind. Whether we make a hundred pound in our life or one million pound, we leave it all behind. I want to ask us all a question, me included. What are we living for? Are we living to build up my kingdom, make my life great, get all the stuff I can, or are we living for Jesus? Our lives are in the hands of Almighty God, and He will call time on our life one day. Are you ready for that day? Jesus tells us this parable because He wants us to be ready. He wants our priorities to be set on living for God alone. This rich man had all the riches the world could offer, yet he had nothing because he didn't have God. Today, this week, this year, you have a choice. Are you going to follow Christ or are you going to believe the lie of material gain? How can we run from that lie? What is the remedy to this? What can stop our greed when it comes so naturally to us? How can we fight to have How can we fight the desire to have more and more? We see that at the end of verse 15, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life isn't about our possessions. Our identity isn't in our possessions. If we're Christians today, our identity is in Jesus. He is who we belong to. And if we are in Christ, listen carefully, we have all we need in him. We as Christians have everything we need in Jesus. Therefore, as Christians, we need to seek after Christ. He gives true satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment. It's all found in Jesus alone. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. If you don't know Jesus today, come to him. He offers you true satisfaction, true contentment. Jesus has died on the cross so that you might be saved. Jesus hung on a cross so that you might come to him. Why not do that today? What's stopping you from coming to Jesus today? You can have your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with the God of the universe and you can have no fear of meeting God when you die. Jesus offers you a better life than the next new house, the next new car. No, Jesus offers life to the full, which is found in him. Let me urge you this morning, don't reject Jesus. Don't seek after the world's goods. It won't satisfy you. One day, every single one of us will meet God, and if we've not trusted in Jesus, God's judgment in hell is what awaits us. Now is the time to get right with God. God has given us Jesus so that we might be restored to him. One day this passage that we've read this morning will be fulfilled. Everyone who has lived for money, pleasure, possessions of this world will face God's judgment. But everyone who has truly trusted in Jesus and given their life to Jesus and seen this world as a temporary home and sought to live for God then when God calls time on this earth or our life, those who follow Jesus and trust him will have riches in heaven forevermore. We need to be rich toward God. We need to treasure God over 
all things because one day our souls will be required by God. Let me summarize by, with, let me close by summarizing and with some application. The summary of this passage is guard yourself against all kinds of greed because our lives aren't about what we own. Therefore, we should be rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? John, John Piper helps us with this. Rich toward God means counting God greater riches than anything on this earth. Rich toward God means using our earthly riches to show how much you value God. But as we close, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? We read our Bible seeking to see Jesus more glorious than anything on this earth. We pray that God would deliver us from the curse of greed and self-indulgence. And we actively trust that God will provide for our daily and future needs. And then we can remind ourselves daily that Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. So let's now close with two songs. So the first song we're going to sing is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And then we'll finish with When I Survey. So let's stand together and sing as we we close.
Let's close in prayer. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. Amen.